Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. That's right. We build wearable technology to measure everything like strain and recovery and sleep and help you optimize performance. We got a great guest this week, uh, but first, a reminder: you can use the code Will Ahmed W I L L A H M E D to get fifteen percent off a Whoop membership. So check that out at Whoop.com. Okay, this week's guest: Tampa Bay Lightning forward Alex Killorn, and recent Stanley Cup winner. Feels cool to say that Alex Killorn is uh, an old friend. We were classmates at Harvard about twelve years ago. Uh, in our freshman year through senior year. And uh, it's been amazing for me to see all of his success. And we really got to catch up on all things Killorn's career and him winning the Stanley Cup. Hockey season's getting underway, so it's fitting to have a member of the reigning Stanley Cup champions on the podcast as they begin their title defense. And we discuss his journey to the NHL and why patience proved to be a virtue on his way to the top why meditation is one of his keys to success on the ice, what he's learned about nerves and how to channel them in a positive way, and winning the Stanley Cup, overcoming the adversity of the COVID-19 playoff bubble and getting the job done. I think Killorn's journey is really one of resilience and hard work. You know, he's someone who has become one of the best players in the NHL just through determination and continued, continued success so we're excited for what he's been able to do longtime whoop member great friend without further ado here is alex killorn well killorn welcome to the whoop podcast thanks for having me man well we were just reminiscing on the fact that uh we went to harvard together it's been what uh we've known each other since we were both 18 18 man yeah it's been a a long time it's almost 12 years what is that 12 years, 13 years now. I just turned 31. I think you're 31, right? Yeah, just turned 31 as well. Now, um, you just won a Stanley Cup, which I think is the coolest thing. I'm so happy for you. You deserve it. If we go back for a little bit, like, was it always obvious to you that you were going to be a professional athlete? Did you always want to be a professional hockey player as a kid growing up? I, I always wanted to be a professional athlete, especially growing up in Canada. There's not much else other than hockey in terms, you know, professionally. There's the Raptors, so uh, base uh, basketball has gotten much bigger. But growing up, everyone played hockey, and I always wanted to be a professional hockey player, but I never knew if I if I was good enough, and that was one of the reasons I ended up going to Harvard. I know my mom was a big uh, was big on me going to Harvard. She kind of pushed me. I'm really happy that she did. Um, it was sort of a backup plan because there's so many people competing. Um, to be professional athletes that I, I really didn't know if I was going to make it. Obviously, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to do it. Uh, I didn't really have a backup plan. I'm sure you knew me in college. I was pretty focused on hockey. But only once my senior year in college came around and I got offered a contract, that's when I figured this actually could be possible. And even then, I still didn't know if I was going to make it because in hockey, it's a little bit different than basketball and and, and football, whereas you know, a lot of time is spent in the minor leagues and it's not like once you sign a contract, you automatically jump into the NHL. So it took me a little while. What's interesting about your path is that it seems like at every stage you showed a lot of patience, you know, like you did four years in high school at Deerfield. Right. And that's around when you got uh, drafted too. Right. 
Yeah, I got drafted out of Deerfield my junior my junior year. So what's that like? You're 16, 17 years old, and you get the call that you're going to be drafted to be in, a, in the NHL. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you were saying, my path was very different than a lot of guys. I mean, I think of – I was playing golf this morning with a guy, Steven Stamkos, who plays for the Lightning. And our paths were so different in the sense that when he was 18, he started playing his next year as an 18-year-old. And looking back, I was going into my senior year of Deerfield – and played another four years at Harvard before I even started professionally. Um, and he was obviously good enough to play as an 18 year old, but me personally, I wasn't good enough and I needed four years of college. And those four years of college uh, were so important for me to become the player I am. You always want to make a good first impression uh, in pro sports. And I think if I would have started playing at 18, I wasn't physically mature. I wasn't ready. I don't think I would have done as well or even lasted as long as, as I've lasted today if I didn't have those four years of college. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I was looking at your stat lines, and even over the last like 12 years, it looks like you've just steadily gotten better a little yeah. bit every single fucking year. I mean, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was kind of that was what happened when I was at Harvard as well. Yeah. My first year, I was okay. My second year, I started to kind of figure it out. By my third year, you know, I did get a contract offer then. And then my fourth year, I had, I had a great year. I was All-American. And it was just a steady progress where I kind of started to figure things out. I was always a late bloomer, uh, you know, hockey-wise. I was always undersized when I was smaller. Um, it seems to take me a little bit longer um, to get there. But, you know, it's, it's part of the process. You know, you always, had, you always had the vibe, though. I'll give you that. Like, <laughs> even when we were 19 or 20 in, in college and people were like, yeah, Killorn's especially good. He might go pro. I felt like when I was around you, I was like, you kind of had the vibe of, a, of someone who could be a professional athlete. Like you had a real confidence. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it takes a ton of confidence know. to do yeah, it. Yeah. It, it does take a ton of confidence. I mean, when you think about how many people try to do it and how many people don't succeed, yeah. part of it, I don't want to say an arrogance, but you just have to have a, a true self-belief that um, regardless of what happens, you're, you're going to overcome situations. And um, I definitely had that confidence throughout my college career, I guess you could say. I think you had it too. I'm not sure people had us pegged for being pro athletes and successful entrepreneurs on the beer pong table, <laughs> but but here we are. Um, so the third year at Harvard, so you get the offer. Then you know, yeah. I feel like a lot of people again would have would have been like, okay, it's time to go pro. And like, what for kept sure. you in school? You know what? I was really fortunate that at the time, the GM for the Tampa Bay Lightning was Steve Eiserman. And uh, he was really good about it because a lot of times these GMs, you never know how long GMs are going to have their role and they're trying to get players through the system. And a lot of times they force kids out of school to make them play professionally quicker just because that makes, they're going to play professionally quicker. They might be in the NHL faster. And I remember a call I had with him and he's like, man, you're, you're at Harvard. You've gone three years. If it's important to you, you know, I think you're going to be a better hockey player next year if you stay anyways. So if you want to stay, stay, um, you know, we won't hold it against you. There's going to be a contract waiting for you next year, regardless. And that kind of eased my mind. I always wanted to stay the four years. Uh, but him saying that a guy, you know, that has so much respect in the hockey world, the guy that's was my GM that gave me my contracts uh, meant a lot. So he was, a, you know, a huge part of that. That feels a little unusual. Am I right? Like I've, I've heard, at yeah. least in baseball, I mean, I don't know exactly for hockey, but I've heard in baseball and especially basketball, there's a little bit of like a now or you might w- miss the window. Yeah. Well, I think with, with myself personally, I, I don't 
I wasn't the highest touted prospect. I did play really well at Harvard, but you know, I wasn't a first round pick or anything like that. So I thought he, he was just good about it. I know he has kids. I know he, he values, you know, what education means to a lot of people. And he considered all those things and didn't think, you know, staying another year would affect me that much uh, in professional hockey. I also needed a little bit more time. Like once you get into pro hockey, like I say, first impressions, such a, an important thing. And if you have a bad first impression, it's kind of tough to change that. And I, like I said, that last year, first team All-American, actually right after my, my uh, college hockey season, I jumped right into pro, um, started playing there. We won an AHL championship and I just had so much momentum going forward and that helped me out a ton. Yeah, it's really interesting how you describe the just the the patience. So in your third year to fourth year of Harvard, what kind like were you setting out some goals for yourself personally? Like, okay, I need to hit a certain weight or I need to be able to be this strong or I need to have this many goals. Like, you know, how did you how were you framing to yourself that that fourth year was gonna be worth it? Yeah. Well, actually I made a bet with Jeff Cohen who's gonna score more goals. Oh man, um, I remember that. Lacrosse there. Yeah. I actually lost the bet was whoever lost the bet has to name their first son's middle name after the guy who who I bet. So this is in my, the AD bet book hall of fame. The AD bet book, yeah. So my first son's middle name is gonna be Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jeff Cohen to his credit, shout out Cohen. He had an uh, unbelievable think, year. And he's the highest scoring lacrosse player right in Harvard history. Harvard history. I forget how I mean, I had an unbelievable year. I scored, I forget what it was. I think it was like 23 goals in like 32 games, which was, I, I thought I had it locked because the lacrosse year is after right, in spring right. and he, he like killed it. He, uh, I mean, he's a great player, but you know, that wasn't really what motivated me. That was a motivating uh, aspect, but it was a good bet though. <laughs> it was a good bet, but I just wanted to, I wanted to set myself up in the best possible way going into pro hockey. Like I planned right after my last game at Harvard, I was going to play professionally. So I set up my courses so that in the spring, I only had two classes. I mean, I don't know if you remember lady samurai and I had like a independent study. Yeah, so you were technically I was coasting. I was like, I want to be ready if they want me to come play that I can go play right away. So technically I was still in class at Harvard, but I wasn't there which is not very common for students at Harvard. Right. But the lady samurai professor was great about it, handed a couple papers, and I actually ended up graduating while I was in the playoffs in, in the minor leagues. So yeah, quite the story. Right. We ended up winning, yeah. I remember I, I remember we were on the patio and you were with your parents and you hadn't been on campus for like a long time. Hadn't been on campus for a long time. And the only reason I was able to come was because we, we were playing in Newfoundland. And we, we swept, we won four games in a row. So we had a little bit of time before the finals. And, uh, you know, my coach let me fly to Boston. I think it was for one night just for the, for graduation. It, it worked out pretty well. So what was the moment when they said, um, okay, you're now going to be playing in the pros or the in NHL the, in, like, in the NHL. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So then that happens. We win the caller cup after that, my senior year in, in at Harvard and there's a lockout. So the NHL players aren't, uh, aren't allowed oh, to yeah, play, right. but the good part about that was the AHL was still happening. So the AHL was a great league because all the young players that would have been in the NHL got sent down to the AHL for the first 40 games. And there were so many eyes on the AHL because the GMs were at every game. The coach from the NHL would come to a lot of games. 
and they would be scouting because they had nothing really else to do. So I ended up playing the first 40 games in Syracuse, New York. And once the NHL announced that it's going to restart, I got called up. I remember the call to this day. I was in my, I was in Syracuse and uh, the, the general manager called me and said, are you ready to play in Madison square garden tomorrow night? And I was like, Oh, I, dude, the I, coolest yeah. place to start too. I know. So Madison square garden tomorrow night, be ready. You know, I didn't get any sleep. I was so excited. And uh, to do it in Madison Square Garden, I mean, I have, we have so many friends, you know, from New York, and I had so many people at the game. Oh, that's uh, it was really it, it was really special. We got we lost five one, but it was a great game nonetheless. And then, how how did you like? At what point did you feel like I belong? You know, you've described yeah. sort of this feeling of like you didn't want to well, you didn't want to be not like one of the guys. You wanted to be like you were you were always ready. Yeah. So even when I got that call, cause guys will get called up for a game, get sent back down. And what you usually ask the GM, I'm like, when I was on the phone with them, I was like, how ba- how big of a bag am I, should I pack? Because if he tells you to pack a big bag, it probably means like you're going to be there for a little while. So he told me pack quite a big bag. Um, so I knew I was going to have, you know, at least a couple games. If things went terribly wrong, they would have sent me back. And uh, since that call up, I never got sent back down. I was pretty fortunate that the, the team was kind of in a rebuilding process. So they were looking for young guys to kind of come in, but I never, I never really felt comfortable probably until I signed my, my first one-way contract where um, the team invested in me and I felt like, you know, I could buy a place in Tampa. That's when I felt, you know, I, you know, I had made it or I had my place within the lightning organization. And while you're like, you know, so you've now been in the NHL for let's call it seven years, eight years. Right. What have you found as you've gotten older in your, you know, professional athlete career? Well, the league's changed a ton, even since I've been in in the NHL. I know when I first got into the league, the league was much bigger. It seemed like every team had an enforcer or two enforcers that, you know, typically weren't great hockey players, but were, were very important to the team. They seem to have been phased out. The game has gotten so much quicker in all aspects the game wouldn't, wouldn't you say that's good for you like i've always thought of you as a skill player yeah but i mean once you i i wouldn't say i'm the the fastest player um and it seems like all the young guys are that come into the league are such great skaters yeah um but yeah the the enforcers that's two spots i mean i'm not going to be an enforcer so that's two spots that that open up for guys like me you know a lot more emphasis has been put on i mean we talk about whoop and recovery and, and making sure like even just the, the strength training, the uh, conditioning we do, everything is done so that we can recover properly. Um, luckily, we have a, a coach who who understands understands that and understands how important recovery is. And we yeah. have a little bit of an older team. Typically, when teams are younger, they get worked a lot harder because they're so young and they need to develop. Whereas when you're an older team, coach realizes that you've developed, you've developed, you know, you're quite good hockey players, but recovery is so much more important than anything else when did you first start wearing wood i feel like i got a gen one on you like yeah you, i first, i think I, had, I think i wore the first one ever um, yeah yeah i've been i've been wearing wood for a long time man um i think the gen one was the first one i wore so what have you learned from wood when you drink your recovery is terrible yeah so less alcohol <laughs> less alcohol um you know and for me it's for me it's all about sleep and all about recovery I'm not too concerned about 
calories and stuff like that. I just want to know in my mind that I'm able to push it as hard as I can. You know, okay. sometimes I would, I want to, if, if I'm in the red or if I'm in the yellow, at least I know, like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll take today a little bit easier, but if I'm in the green, if I'm in the green and I don't feel good, it doesn't matter. Cause I know my body's there. My mind's there. I could push through it. It's, it's, it's just mental. So I just like to know those numbers cause it helps me uh, on how, how hard I could push myself. If you think about your routine, like let's say, um, you know, to go to bed, for example, has that evolved at all over time? Have you figured out new things that help you sleep better? I think so. I mean, obviously being in front of, I, I used to just sit on my phone and scroll through whatever it is, Instagram or whatever. And that's probably the worst thing you can do right before bed. I I've done my best to like cut that out. Even when I'm looking at my screen, just to set my alarm, I'm like trying to set it really quickly. Yeah. But that's probably, that's probably the biggest thing. There's just you ever, little you ever things. try uh, wearing blue light blocking glasses? No, I haven't. I probably they're like should. these, these that... glasses, yeah, yeah. red tint. I'm, I'm going to send you a pair. They, yeah. uh, they're amazing, and they kind of give you a get out of free card in terms of looking at your phone. Because I'm on my phone late too, but by wearing these glasses, you don't get the blue light from the screens, and the blue light's like what stimulates your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes your sleep less effective. So I'll send you. A so like it's. Yeah, so I can stay on Instagram and stuff all night, and I'll be fine with well, those glasses. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, what are a couple other things you were saying? I, I do find that golfing takes a huge strain um, out of my day compared to other sports that I play, um, especially when I'm hitting balls and when I'm beating balls on the range and like the hot Florida summer, just kills me. It's one of those things that you wouldn't necessarily think no. is that big of a deal. And then you realize that you're just like slowly wearing your body down. I know. Yeah. Kill, the strains is, is huge when I golf. Now, for folks listening, Killard's a good golfer. What, what's your handicap these days? My cap, my gin, I'm at about a zero. Um, ah, so you're going to be giving me scratch. a few shots now. Giving you a few shots. I mean, I, I would say I'm a bad scratch. I'm, I'm you know... I'm probably more of a one than anything, but scratch, right now, scratch. scratch is a dangerous statement. I know it comes with a. Statement. It really is. Yeah. Like you, if anyone plays with you, they just you know. And the reason I, I'm a scratch is because my golf course, which is a par seventy one, really is like a par seventy five, because it's it plays really hard. So um, yeah, so way, you yeah. seventy five there, and it's considered it's considered par. scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fine. Okay. So let's talk about this season, dude. So. Um, yeah. The season starts and then what COVID hits. Talk about that sort of like moment in time for you. Yeah, I'll never forget it. I remember we were playing Philly. We had 12 games left in the season and things were going really well for us. We had a big game against Philly. We come in that morning to uh, go over the game and, you know, everything that the game entails. And our coach is like, the game's canceled tonight. Go home and wait for us to, to hear what's going to come next. And then, COVID happens and uh, we ended up taking, I think it was like three months off. It might've been, I'm not sure exactly how long it was. And uh, you know, I was on calls every other day trying to figure out, cause I, I I'm the PA the player association rep for the lightning. So we're trying to figure out how we can finish the season in a fair way. There was still 12 games left, you know, certain teams could have got in certain teams could have fell out of the playoff picture so it was tough to kind of make that fair. But in the end, we thought we found a pretty fair system. Um, and But it was going to entail going to these bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. 
which were last last second decisions. I know Vegas was 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 supposed to be the bubble. That would have been a different situation, but um, yeah, we you know we skated. We we didn't even know if it was going to happen, and then we ended up you know coming to this conclusion. So it so March this thing hits, and then you've got this period of months. Like in that yeah. period, were you kind of always like this thing could be coming back next week, or did you at least have the horizon or like the vision to sort of see when? Okay, this is two months away or three months away. Because so much I feel like for athletes is knowing when they want to be yeah. ready for you know. And yeah, we had no idea at first. We didn't realize. We thought maybe this would be like a month thing or a couple of weeks. We soon understood that it was going to be longer than that. And uh, you know, through talks with the NHL and the NHLPA, we figured out that we kind of set a date when we thought it was going to be, so guys could start preparing in a sense. Yeah. But there was a there there was a month period where we had no idea what was happening. Guys were getting very frustrated because they're like, "Do we start? Do we go on summer vacation or?" Do I have to get on the elliptical? Like what, what's going on here? Um, so once we kind of set a date and we figured out we were going to play and we could do it safely, that was obviously the, the biggest part was being able to do it safely. Um, then guys could start getting back into, sh- well, you know, we pretty much were in shape, but even a month off can, can really slow you down. Yeah. So much of it is knowing like when your body needs to be peaking around, right? Exactly. And yeah, just mentally too. It's, it's really important. Now the bubble thing was that coming from your group of player um, player reps, or did that come from uh, the top <clears throat> within the NHL? It came from the top, I would say. I mean, the difference between the players' association and the NHL is that the NHL doesn't have as many opinions. There's only thirty or thirty-one owners, and then Gary Bettman, who does make a ton of decisions. Whereas there's six hundred of us, and certain guys wanted to just play in arenas where other guys didn't want to play at all. So you kind of, it's tough to kind of come to a conclusion. It typically always comes down to dollars. And if we didn't play, there was going to be a lot of money that was going to be lost on both ends. So, you know, we, we did everything we could to play and then we didn't want a season to vanish. A lot of teams have worked so hard to get to that point in the season um, to kind of throw it away would have been, would have been very disappointing, but it did come from the NHL who's, you know, more liable in terms of, you know, the safety of the league. Okay. So you get into the bubble and going in as a team, were you guys saying to yourselves, this is the year? I mean, you had just come off last season. You had one of the best records, right? Yeah. And then, um, and then unfortunately you had that first round upset, Yeah. which was, was like a really surprising upset. Talk about mm-hmm. that upset. I mean, that must've reframed yeah. for you a little bit what it takes to win a Stanley cup. Yeah, it, it was tough, man. I mean, we had the best season in the history of the NHL. And when you think of crazy, the NHL has been around around for a long time. Um, And to have as many wins as we did, you know, and we got swept in the first round by Columbus, which, you know, even till we won the cup, it seems like every media scrum, every time I did an interview that had been brought up and we knew that was going to be brought up throughout the whole season. And that was fine, but we kind of used that as fuel. Um, no one expected us to lose that series. So um, it, it was definitely difficult for us. But I think in that season, we didn't really have any adversity. When you think about we won so many games, there's a lot of games I could look back in that season where, you know, I felt like we probably shouldn't have won, but we won anyways out of pure skill. So we never really learned our lesson and we, we might have got a little overconfident. But once we got into the bubble 
our first series was against Columbus who had swept us the year before. So there was so much, we had put a lot of pressure on ourselves, you know, in our mind, we're telling ourselves we can't lose two years to these guys. We're another favorite this year. If we lose to these guys again, like people are going to lose their jobs, you know, coaches, it's, it's pretty serious. if, If we lose this, this series and the first game went to, I think it was five overtime periods. And that's what it took to beat these guys. The first game, it was one of the longest games in the history of the NHL playoffs. I know guys were getting IVs in between three periods. Three two, yeah. Three, two victory, five overtimes. Uh, that must've, I mean, that must've taken a big weight off your shoulders in some ways winning that game. Cause if you lose yeah. that game, it oh my kind God. of feels like you're, yeah, kind of feels like you're climbing another mountain for sure. And, and, and you know, being part of that game, we, we understood, you could tell throughout a game that we were have we had more scoring chances. We, I think we had double the amount of shots that they had, but they were just finding a way to stay in it. Um, and once we, you know, like you said, they win that game. It's a completely different series. Maybe we get a little bit low on confidence and then what if they win another game, but I thought that game and to go to seven periods um, was what it was going to take for us to like understand how difficult this is going to be, but also that it's possible. Right. What were you doing personally during that game to stay sharp when you were getting on the ice? Cause I mean, there's a mental drain, there's a physical drain. Yeah. The, the toughest part about that game was that even, you know, we had had so much time off and as much as we want to say we were in great shape, we weren't because yeah. it, you could do as much as you want off the ice. You could do anything. You could practice as long as you want. You can't get in game shape unless you play games. And it's difficult to mimic that through practice. So we had had like four exhibition games or whatever you want to call it. And then our first playoff game, we go to seven periods, like two and a half games. Right. Um, I was, I was doing everything under the sun to not cramp because at a certain point, you know, my legs were just cramping up. I was doing, you know, eating bananas, pickle juice. We have, you know, we got, I got an IV, we got IVs in between periods. Um, It was, it was crazy going through the, the locker room and seeing everything that was being done. So that guy's, and once we scored, it was like such a weight off our, off our shoulders. Yeah. I mean, that must have felt to the other team like they had lost two games. Yeah. Yeah. It, and then I remember Boston and Carolina, they, we, were at the, we were at the five o'clock game. So they were planned to play at eight o'clock. So they had got to the rink. They had gone through their whole routine. And they're just sitting there waiting, praying for one of us to score because it went so long that they had to play the next morning. I remember they were like, you guys, you know, really – screwed up and made us <laughs> we had to play up. the next day they, they drank like three coffees they were getting ready for the game and <laughs> they just had to go back home and go to sleep so how do you recover from that game did you guys have the day off the next day or what did you do yeah we had the day off i can't remember if we played because of we, because we were in the bubble they they didn't give us much time off they wanted to kind of wrap up the playoffs as, as quick as possible but we definitely had a day off the next day um for me I was just getting as much liquid and hydrating as much as I could. Um, You know, we have trainers kind of, you know, getting massages and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it was just mentally, it was kind of just, you didn't want to like deal with anything, just kind of get away from it. Are you someone who likes to do the ice bath? I I do once in a while. I I prefer that those Norma tech boots um, just just because it's less painless. Um, 
I'm not sure which one's better. I'm sure the ice baths are better for you, but um, for me, I do a, Eps- a lot of Epsom salt baths, mm-hmm. especially the, ni- the night before a game. Um, it That's helps me kind of relax. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do one of those before every, every game. And I, I meditate in my Epsom salt bath. So cause oh, that's the, cool. Cause the Epsom salt bath, you're supposed to do it for about 15 minutes. Um, so a 10 minute meditation during that, um, has helped me out a ton. And it helps me just kind of relax before I go to bed because we're always traveling and it's tough to, to maintain a good sleep schedule. What kind of, uh, meditation do you do or, or did you like learn a certain type? I just do the, the headspace app, but there's different, obviously in the headspace, there's different, uh, categories and stuff. Um, sports categories, uh, depending on, on my mood or whatever, I'll switch to those. I know, um, Andy put and he has like a world-class voice, doesn't he? Oh man. Yeah. He's great. He just relaxes yeah. you. It makes it, it's great. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I started meditating like six years ago, and I don't think I'd be able to have built Whoop without it. Like, I find yeah. it so centering. Yeah, for me, this is my first year really meditating. I, w- I, do, I do it bef- the day of the game, before my pregame nap, and then the night before a game um, to sleep. And, you know, it just for me in hockey, there's so many highs and lows, and um, it just keeps me level. Like I remember when I, when I was younger and I used to score a goal, I used to get so excited, but then when I didn't score for 10 games, it, I was so low on myself Yeah, and it seems like those have kind of gone away and I've, I've been able to stay very stable and that's made me a more consistent player. I think this past year statistically has been by far my best year. Um, and I think part of it is, is due to that. I think being even keeled is so important in really all aspects of, of performance. I mean, so much of the challenge of starting a company too is that in the early days, you're like riding this roller coaster where it's like, oh, this person wants to join the company and oh, this investor wants to invest and oh, we're going to close this deal. And then the next day, it's like all the opposite. Like, oh, this person quit. Investor is not yeah. going to invest. The sales deal fell through and you just find yourself on this roller coaster. And so for me, it was a lot. it's been a lot of the same where you can you just find a way to have a steady hand throughout all that, and it, it just makes you more resilient. I feel like to the world around you. For sure. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's similar in the sense where you talk about investments and whatever hiring, firing certain people. It's the same as our performance in hockey. And as long as I could mentally stay even keel, um, not get too high, too low. I just and not only that, I feel like I'm a better person. I'm better to totally. deal with. Totally. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not you know, on edge or, you know, I handle situations a lot better. Um, so yeah. Do you find that when you're meditating, you're visualizing hockey often or like visualizing the game to come, or do you try to have it not be at all about hockey? I try to have like cues that help me calm down while I'm playing. So a, a, a lot of times I'll think about just how my skates feel when they're just on the ice. And that's literally all I think about. And that helps ground me. Let's say there's a big, a big part of the game or a situation where, you know, I got scored on or something's not going well. Usually if I just breathe and think about that, it puts me in such a better place. And I just feel like, you know, I, I gain confidence because I know that once I start doing that, um, I'll be able to make certain plays and I won't be on edge. That's amazing. So you use it almost as like a, like a coping mechanism in the moment that you can For refer sure. back to from when you're doing yeah. the practice but I'll even do it before the game. I'll just, you know, 
I'll just be feeling my, cause it's a, it's a definitely a sensation, your blades on the ice or your blades on the ground when you're in the locker room. It's a feeling that you could kind of, I could feel it right now just thinking about it. So it's something, I don't know if it's a trigger or whatever it is, but I just start thinking about that. And um, I don't think about like necessarily certain situations in a game. I don't need to think about those. I think that would kind of take away from it. It's just the mood or the feeling that I want to, that I want to have. It's really interesting. I bet in some ways it helps you lower your heart rate too in, in various moments, especially when the crowd's screaming and maybe like the opposing sure. team scored on you. If you can go back to that, that feeling. Yeah. I mean, buildings, buildings get very loud and it's a huge advantage to certain teams because they have very loud buildings um, and guys might get a little bit excited in certain moments of the game, but that's like you said, that's been a huge factor in, in, in being even keel and yeah very very important for me now what was it like playing in a bubble versus in your typical fan arena it it was at first it, w- it was a little weird they yeah. the nhl i will say did a great job and like they had a oh, i can't even explain it they had a bunch of stuff to make it like where the fans would have been seating sitting yeah to make it look, you know, cool on TV and they had big posters and big, you know, whatever it was, mechanisms. But at first it, it was really weird, just kind of after goals because there was no sound, you know, everyone said the fans were going to, you know, usually the, the fans have an impact on the refs in terms of penalty calling because the refs may miss something, but when the fans go crazy, they'll, it, they'll, they'll see it and they'll kind of make a call based on that. And I don't think that was affected at all because the building was so quiet that the benches and the players technically were the fans. And no matter what you said, it was heard throughout the whole stadium. So, um, you know, I think certain teams may have been at a, you know, didn't have the advantage they typically would have had if they play in very loud buildings. I think about, you know, Boston's a team. Sure. That, that, I mean, you, you know, you've been to games there, especially in the playoffs, it gets really loud. Um, there but you know everyone was playing under the same circumstances and once you got into the first series it, it became the new normal so so you guys you, you overcome this first round series right and yeah. then uh let's talk about the boston series so boston was interesting i mean you have to realize that the the, the weird part about the bubble was we were all in the same hotel and it was just us in the hotels and the hotels only had one restaurant two bars upstairs. So we would see each other all the time. You know, if we went to dinner, like they were sitting right beside us, which is very awkward. And especially in playoffs, the last thing you want to do is get in the elevator and be going into, be going to the game or towards the buses with the opposing team, because you know, once you get in the elevator, you're going to have to walk the same way and go through the same stuff. So that was certainly weird. I know with, with Boston, they had Rask who, who, who went home, right before our series or during the Carolina series, but Boston was a huge series for us. They, it seems like they've kind of become our rival um, since I've been with Tampa because they've been so good and we've been pretty good and we've had some good, you know, playoff battles, but um, you know, we, we played super well against them one in five games. Yeah. It was a great series. They have some great leadership on that team. And what's it like when you're seeing a guy that you're maybe talking shit to on the ice and you secretly don't really like, and then all of a sudden you yeah. see him at the restaurant and you're like, Oh, Hey, what's up, man? You know what guys are all 
all the hockey guys are pretty cordial and they're they're pretty good guys for the most part when we first got to the bubble there was five teams and that's we had two weeks before the real playoff started so we would all be up at the bar like kind of having drinks together it was kind of like a all-inclusive vacation for the first you know two weeks once the playoffs started we didn't talk to them at all but uh it was kind of cool to see their perspective the bubble was new everyone was kind of excited um but once you got in there uh you know more than a week or two weeks it, it, it changed and it was all about winning now as you get later in the series obviously you're getting closer to winning the stanley cup but at the same time you're also now been in this bubble for like a really long time did that start yeah. to wear on you at all like mentally for sure. I know we have a team psychologist or I don't know his official term, but he was with us and his whole thing was making sure we were mentally, you know, staying in it. it it's the tough part is for a lot of guys, especially my age, 31, a lot of guys that are 31 have very young kids right? Um, and they're missing huge parts of their lives. I mean, I know certain guys left their two month old baby and they came back and the baby was like completely looked like a different person because they'd been gone for so long and they'd never been away from their family for that long. So it was really difficult. Um, like I said, when we first got to the bubble, it was exciting in the sense that it was something new, something that none of us had done. And we were in Toronto, which was a better setup than Edmonton. Once we got to Edmonton, it was all business because we're in the conference finals and you know, there was nothing really to do. Toronto, we had the, the BMO field. We were on the water. There was a couple restaurants. and At least you're, you're in a new that. bubble even though. You know, it's like going from one bubble to people, another. feels like so some people, kind of a trade. Yeah. People were talking. We, we didn't want to leave Toronto. We said this is because we knew players that were in Edmonton. And they were like, it is terrible here. Like, you guys don't know how lucky you have it. And the more I think about it, um, I think it was beneficial for us to just change sceneries and not be in the same place in the same hotel room for, for, you know, two or three months. So yeah, it was nice to get a change of scenery in that sense. Okay. Stanley cup finals. You're, you're paired up against the stars at this point, you'd been having a good playoffs just in that yeah, game at a time or cause you guys, you had, you had previously played in Stanley cup finals yeah. before. Yeah. So we had played in 2015, we had played in the Stanley cup finals and we had lost the Chicago Blackhawks and we had gone to the Eastern conference finals two times after that. And, and there was sort of a mounting pressure on our team just because we were the team that was so close and we had have had successful seasons. Like you go to the conference finals, that's very successful. Yeah. But people, even after we had been um, swept the year before t- the, all the analysts picked us as the favorite to win the cup again. So there was a ton of pressure uh, mounting on us um, and being in the bubble that long and going to the finals, you know, I feel so, I feel terrible for the stars cause they had to endure the whole bubble, which was a difficult process and they, and they didn't win. Whereas, you know what, we get to say we won regardless of how painful it may have been. Um, we won the Stanley cup and it was all worth it, you know? So for them, it's, it's a little bit of a different scenario. Um, they were a great team. They suffered some tough injuries it was a great series. I think back, you know, we had Stamkos that came back for one game for like the hockey fans listening, you know, he's a 60 goal scorer. And for him to come back for one game uh, was, was so crazy. I remember we had to walk by their dressing room because that's how crazy the bubble is. Never in hockey did you walk by their team's dressing room and no one knew Stamkos was playing. And I remember, I think it was Corey Perry who plays for the Dallas Stars saw him 
walk by. And if he's walking by at that time, it, it means he's playing. Oh, I just remember cool. I remember hearing him. I remember seeing his mouth go, oh, fuck, he's playing, talking about Stamkos. And he walked into the room to tell their coach, I'm assuming. But uh, just cool things like that. Yeah. Did you find that you were any more nervous or less nervous for any of those games? Like, the you know, one of the, one of the closeout games, for example, were you? Oh, yeah. Did you feel differently? The last game was very nerve wracking in the sense that we were up 3-1. And we went to the, in game five, we went to OT. So if we score in overtime, we win the Stanley cup. So that whole overtime, we're just like, let's hope we just get one. And they end up scoring um, in the second overtime, yeah. which is super, super deflating. Right. Cause now the series is three, two. What if they win the next game? We go to game seven. You never know what happens. You know, you're flipping the coin, but in that game six, I think we had the best game um, of the playoffs. I know, our goalie had a shutout, which he hadn't had in the playoffs, and he's a great goalie. So that's the, the funny thing about nerves. For me personally, and I think for our team, the more nervous we were, the the more focused we became. Yeah. And that's a huge part, and we've had coaches that talk about that because a lot of times when you get nervous, you can go the other way, right? Yeah. You can make mistakes and stuff like that. But if you can harness – I always tell people, like, when I'm before a game, if I'm a little nervous, I know I'm going to play better. Because it's just waking me up and it's like, you know, it, it, it's making the, the situation more important. And for me, that makes me focus more. So I think our team did a great job doing that. I mean, I think it's also a sign of maturity. Like you've just matured a lot as a professional athlete. You've been through a lot of these different scenarios. Going out and playing in front of tens of thousands of fans doesn't really phase you. So now knowing that you've got like a little bit of, of butterflies before something it's that kind of extra gas that you need to focus for sure. So it's it almost a little extra energy. Yeah. It gives you yeah. a little extra energy. So you, the moment you win the Stanley cup, what's that like? And, and at what point do you guys figure out, okay, can we actually go out right now? Like we're in COVID. <laughs> How can we have a, a, a massive night without actually totally abusing? Yeah. The first, when I lifted the cup and everything for me being a Canadian kid, that's all I've ever dreamed of my, my whole life, literally, to, to be able to win that cup and for the rest of your life to be known as a Stanley Cup champion is it, it, so important to me. It felt surreal the first whole night. We had to, The first night, we had to stay in uh, in the hotel. We couldn't leave, obviously. We couldn't go into Edmonton. We stayed in the bubble. We had a, a great time. Um, but once we got back, to, we were lucky that Tampa was a little bit more laxed on the, on the COVID regulations. And... Uh, you know, we didn't have a conventional parade, but we had a parade on the water, on the river walk in Tampa. So we were all in our own boats. I mean, I got on the jet ski. I was. Is that the <laughs> famous photo of you on the jet ski with the Stanley Cup? Yeah, man. And when I saw know, that photo, I was so fired up. I was so happy for you. Yeah, thanks. That's uh, it's a pretty cool picture that it was Amazing. someone I knew that took the picture on their iPhone. But the way it came about is I got on the jet ski. I hopped up to Stamkos's boat. He had the cup and I got it. And I remember one of the police officers was just like, I, I looked at him and I'd been, you know, obviously celebrating pretty good. Uh, and he just like, just put a life jacket on, man. And I'm like, okay. And I was going <laughs> around with it a little wobbly. And the thing is like, if that thing goes in the water, it's, it's sinking. So I think a lot of people were, were worried if I was going to, you know, drop it in the water, but it ended up making a pretty cool picture. And it was, it was one of the better moments of my life. Yeah, well, well deserved, man. It's uh, it's awesome to see your success and your journey. If you kind of reflect on your uh, career as a professional athlete, what do you, what would you say to a 
to a 15 year old or a 17 year old who thinks that they want to be a professional athlete? Yeah. Well, for me, I, you know, if I had to talk through my experience and uh, let's say I was talking to like a Harvard hockey player, I mean, it's difficult for me to talk to a superstar because, you know, they have their certain skill set, but someone that's similar to me, when I went into Harvard, I was a very offensive guy. I was, I didn't play much defense and through Harvard, I played a lot of defense. I learned how to do different things. I learned how to take face-offs. I learned how to penalty kill. Um, I learned how to do all these different things, which made me more valuable in the NHL till this day. You know, I think I would be considered more of a defensive forward than, than anything if people, you know, asked about me. And I think because of that, you know, being sort of a Swiss army knife in the sense that you could do a lot of different things. I think it's extended my career. It's helped me play a lot more in different situations. So I would tell younger guys, just like, make sure you're well-rounded. You're going to be, you might be the most skilled guy at Harvard, but that doesn't mean anything in the NHL. It really doesn't. So make sure you could do a lot of different things um, so that you could provide value in a different sense. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like building a building a talent stack, if you will, of you know different attributes to make you a phenomenal athlete. What do you think is is next for you? You know, do you, do you, do you think at all about life after hockey? Yeah, You're super focused on maximizing every year you've got. I'm I'm very focused on maximizing every year, but as you get older, you start to think about certain things. I mean, uh, for me, I know a lot of I've I've been doing this doc talk thing right kind of go around on my jet ski it's, it was really stupid but it was people really took to it <laughs> and it, and a lot of people have brought up like broadcasting or getting into um commentating on hockey and, and i don't know if that's exactly what i want to do i know i don't want to be a coach i know what these coaches go through and how much video they watch and that's just not something for me maybe something more in management um yeah you know if ever <laughs> there's like a a hockey or some kind of athletic golf division where pro athletes can play golf. I'd, I'd like to get into that, but I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah. We're actually hiring for that. Whoop. <laughs> you're, you're perfect. No. Perfect. Uh, so, and, and one other thing that's been amazing about your career is uh, you've actually been really, really available, like really durable. You know, I think you've played what three seasons or four seasons where you didn't miss a game, something like that. What, what do you think that you, you've been doing? What has made you so available or, or averse um, uh, to injury? I don't know how many games exactly I've missed, but I haven't missed a ton, you know, and I think I just take a lot of pride in that. There's a lot of guys that may miss games when they're not feeling great. I, I kind of do what I can to push through it. I've played through um, injuries, but like I, it's all about recovery, right. And finding, yeah. finding ways to make sure your body's going to be healthy, not just in the sense to, you know, when you're younger, you want to perform well, but now as I get older, I'm not training for strength so much i'm not trying to lift as much as i can i want to make sure i'm as flexible um and as durable as i can be because i don't need to get that much stronger obviously i want to maintain a certain amount of strength but i want to make sure my body is as durable as it can be that changes as you get older in sports totally because you're you're also now a valuable asset to a team as someone who's just been around the block right like you're you're an yeah. asset to the locker room too so if you're For available sure. And your your mind is sharp. Uh, that makes you an asset in the league for years to come. I would think. That's the plan. Yeah. So I mean, I hopefully I can I can do this as long as possible. I love playing hockey. Um, if I could, you know, play as long as I can, I'm going to try to, and then, you know, hopefully transition into something else after that. Now, in terms of recovery stuff, because we've talked a lot about recovery stuff, 
foam rollers, Normatex, compression suits, hyper ice, yeah. cryo, massage, acupuncture, yeah. Graston, like float tank. What what what's kind of the perfect Alex Killorn recovery? Yeah, I mean different things for different situations obviously like acupuncture at certain times when you have a certain injury and you need to get a lot of um blood or whatever to that certain area i mean the only problem with a lot of acupuncture is that the next day it's going to be probably more painful than than when you have it but it's just going to make it better the day after that so for me if i'm if i'm healthy and what i'm doing typically i'm doing a normatec the day of the game after the game, I'm getting uh, a massage just to kind of get the lactic acid out. So that's those are two things uh, I make sure I do. In the off season, I'm doing like ice baths. I'm doing saunas to increase uh, yeah, human growth hormone um, or growth hormone. Sorry, um, and that's that's kind of kind of it. You know, I'm not lifting as I know when you remember when we went to when we went to school and you'd go into the gym. Actually, you guys might have had a different gym than us, but um, you'd see the football guys and, uh, you know, that's kind of where the way we trained, it was just lift as much weight as you can. And I mean, it puts so much pressure. It. Yeah. It, pr it puts so much pressure on your joints and it was good for me because it made me a lot stronger, but nowadays I, I don't lift like that. Uh, I'm all about lasting as long as I can kind of that Tom Brady type, you know, I lift more than him for sure, but um, you want to make sure you last as long as you can. So what would be a couple examples of exercises that you're doing now that you wouldn't have done, you know, as a 20 year old, you know, I, I don't typically do a lot of squats anymore. Interesting. Um, yeah. I all we, and we test for squats too. It's just, it, it puts so much pressure on my hips and my, my lower back that it's really not worth it for me. I'd rather get in a machine, a Kaiser machine. And I put a belt on, uh, and basically I'm just lifting it from the middle and I'm just going, uh, just doing squats that way. So there's nothing really, there's no pressure on my joints coming this way. Um, and tech, you might not get the the same amount out of it, but for me, you know, I feel much better when I do that. It's a lot more stretching. I get, I get stretched out a lot of times before every single workout or after every single workout, just to make sure I'm, I'm feeling good. Cause when I was younger, I would work out and I'd feel terrible and I just, it just became normal to me. And once I started putting so much work into you just think it's like normal. Like, Hey, I, I lifted, I, I did front squats, three plate or whatever, two plates, my back's hurting, but you know, it'll, that's just how it's supposed to feel. And when you get older, you're like, why would I, why did I put myself through that? I mean, there's a lot more available to me now that I, I'm a pro athlete, but I put a lot more into, into making sure I feel really good. Well, uh, look, man, I mean, this has been a pleasure as always. I can't wait to see you again. Uh, yeah, man. hopefully in a post COVID world and, for sure. uh, and I'm just so happy for all the success that you've had. You know, seeing that photo of you holding the Stanley Cup of it just made me really happy. Thanks, man. I'm happy for you, too, and everything you've done. I mean, you've built this unbelievable company. Congrats, man. Oh, thank you. Now, where can people find you if they want to, uh, you know, follow you or on various channels? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at acolorn17. That's kind of where I do. I'm acolorn19 on, uh, on Twitter, but mostly uh, I'm on Instagram. Yeah, that's about it. Awesome, man. Well, we'll leave that in the show notes. And uh, Killer, it's a pleasure. Thanks, just, thanks, man. Good to seeing you, Will. Thank you to Alex Killorn for coming on the Whoop podcast. A reminder, you can use the code WILLAHMED to get 15% off a Whoop membership. Follow us at Whoop at WILLAHMED. And stay healthy, folks. We are in 2021, and it is going to be a special year.